This is Chris. Welcome to episode 276 of X-Labs, which feels like a snake bit episode uh, for a few reasons here. Uh, first of all, uh, my eyesight is uh, really, really failing. It's been like, uh, boy, uh, I'm trying to think of how long it's been since I had my eyes checked. feels like just yesterday, but it was actually 2016. So five years it's been since my eyes were checked. So it's becoming harder and harder to read these things. It's... Uh, a real pain no matter how close to my face or how far from my face I have these books they are uh, they're very difficult to read I usually have to just take my glasses off and more or less press my face into the page so I got to get around to scheduling another eye appointment I think I might actually have to uh, face the fact that I might need some bifocals at this point which mm, I, that just the thought of that uh, I really, really don't like it. Uh, not, not that there's anything wrong with bifocals. I just feel like it's going to be hard to get used to. Though folks who have them tell me it's it's not all that bad. So we'll see. We'll see. Maybe I'm completely wrong. Maybe uh, maybe there's something else to it. Who knows? Um, another reason why this episode feels snake bit is because they're doing damn construction outside my house still. And uh, today they brought all the heavy equipment. So I've been trying to like wait them out to see when they'd you know stop and. Uh, well, it doesn't look like they're going to, so we're going to do our best here to make this as interruption-free and uh, as uh, rackety-free as possible. I did notice that my new chair, which no longer squeaks, pops, so uh, there might be some popping sounds, so we'll, we'll, we'll do our best not to have any sort of uh, interfering sounds here as we discuss today's book, which is X-Force, Volume 6, Number 24 which had a December 2021 cover date. The story is called The Pen is Mightier Than the Cerebro Sword. Huh. Written by Benjamin Percy with art by Martin Coccolo. Colors by Guru EFX. Letters Joe, VCs Joe Caramagna. Uh, designs Tom Muller, head of X's Hickman. Edits Amaro Basso white Sabolski. Cover price $4. This one went on sale October the 13th of 2021. Now we open with The Chronicler. You remember The Chronicler? Well, he's chronicling inside of the Dimensional Rift. Now, he's approached and intimidated by Mikhail Rasputin. It's not entirely clear yet, but it would appear as though the Chronicler has like a modicum of control over the narrative, as in he can focus on someone, write, and what he writes actually comes to pass. At least, at least, uh... Like, the momentum toward what he wants to happen. I, I don't know that he has complete control. There is a limitation that is mentioned several times throughout the issue, but we'll get there as we go. Now, here's the thing about the Chronicler. He's got integrity, or at least he presents himself as having such. 
He refuses to tell the story that Mikhail would like for him to be telling here. And so Mikhail takes out a bottle of wine, pours it out, breaks the bottle, then jams the broken glass into the chronicler's left hand. So uh, old Miggy ain't uh, screwing around here. Now, I'm not sure if we're supposed to figure that the chronicler has any sort of uh, alcoholic tendencies, uh, or if this is some sort of odd meta-commentary about stories being controlled by someone other than the writer, but uh, who knows? (laughs) We will uh, discuss that a little bit later on. Anyway, Mikhail threatens that if the chronicler does not do as he's told, well, next he's going to lose his right hand. And before we cut away, uh, Mikhail, um, he talks about Russia's tradition of watching and manipulating from the shadows. And we're going to find out exactly what or who the chronicler is manipulating very, very soon. Now, the question I want to pose here is, is this a sign that this person, who we will find out about shortly, has been under a measure of manipulation from the very start? Huh, well, well, we'll talk more about that as we go. First, double-page spread of Roll Call and Cred. Our characters include Beast, Black Tom, Colossus, Kayla, Mikhail Rasputin, and The Chronicler. We jump into an info page where Beast notes about heading into the Shadow Room to get rid of that Russian nester who entered his body an issue or two ago. You remember that story, of course. Back to comics, and we're about to take a fantastic voyage throughout Hank McCoy's body. Well, Black Tom is, or Black Tom's avatar, I guess. His, uh, his little planty avatar heads inside of the Beast, spots the Russian nester, and gives chase. Our scene then shifts to the Savage Land, where we catch up with Colossus and Kayla. Now, they're farming Krakoan flowers, which I could have sworn was something that got deep-sixed during the first issue of X-Corp. Wasn't it? I thought that was like the whole point of it. Anyway, maybe Ben Percy paid about as much attention to X-Corp as Teeny Howard pays attention to every single X-Book that doesn't have hers or Hickman's name in the credits. Who knows? It's not like there's like a half dozen editors involved in this line, right? We can't expect people to keep this straight, right? Anyway, Kayla's about ready to call it a day, but Peter decides he's going to burn the afternoon oil for a bit. So she heads back to their place and tells him not to get too tired because, well, she's wanting to bang. Back to Beast's innards, uh, Black Tom chases the Russian nester while exchanging banter with the barefoot Beast. He ultimately winds up in Beast's stomach, where he finds what's left of a nasty cabbage salad that Hank had eaten earlier that day. Ugh, could you imagine the smell, both inside and out? Anyway, uh, Beast reminds Tom that the cabbage is, you know, veg, and so Tom should be able to command it to do stuff. Let's hop back to the chronicler, who continues to chronicle. Now, he's telling the story of Colossus. So, Colossus is the person that he's currently using his narrative powers to influence. We have Peter returning home, and he discovers Kayla crying in the bedroom. Now, she's found a bunch of Pete's paintings, and they're all Krakoan state secrets. The Quiet Council Chamber, uh, the Hatchery, Sage's Control Room, Forge's Armory, what looks like X-Corp's Science Lab. It's, you know, a bunch of stuff that nobody outside of Krakoa should know anything about. Now, you see, the thing of it is here, Colossus was going to ship these paintings to Mikhail as a way of spilling the beans on Krakoa, which, you know, kind of makes sense, right? But at the same time, it kind of doesn't, because you got to ask yourself, every, every issue of this we get, on the very last page, we get that coming soon, you know, the coming soon page, and every single time it says, Krakoa is for all mutants, right? Every single time for over two years now. So if Krakoa really is for all mutants, and if Mikhail, 
a mutant is truly interested in finding out the inner workings of the place, why doesn't he just, you know, go there, right? Hmm. Anyway, uh, Kayla tears up one of the portraits. Colossus calls her in for a hug so he can explain things. He then snaps her neck, killing her. Welp, that was that. Now, Mikhail pours the Chronicler a drink, telling him it's time to celebrate, but also he needs to know that his labor is far from over. From here, we hop to an info page, and it's the Chronicler's Chronicles. We get a sort of kind of better understanding of his wildly nebulous and convenient power set. You see, he can focus in on one person and influence their behavior through story to a degree. Not sure if he's a psychic or a reality warper, maybe both, maybe neither. Um, does he have anything to do with that Claremont character from his second go-round? That one that, I remember they, they would put sketch, her name was Sketch, actually, and they would put sketches of Sketch in the end of the issues here, and it made it seem like she was going to be, like, a pretty big deal. And I think she showed up for an issue or two and then was never heard from again. A similar power set, though. Only she could control people through drawings rather than a story. Anyway, this story was predicated on Kayla discovering the paintings. And since he can't influence other than, you know, his focus character, I think we gotta assume that he influenced Peter to leave the paintings out where Kayla would just so happen to stumble across them. Right? Well, we'll talk about that a little bit more in a bit. We hop back to the Shadow Room, where Beast is uh, power-puking his nasty cabbage-and-vomit soup here, and out pops the Russian Nestor. So I guess it was that easy, huh? Couldn't Hank have just jammed a finger down his throat to get the same outcome? I don't know. Uh, Black Tom incinerates the puddle of vomit. Hank then takes a look at Tom's face, and uh, he sees a Nestor on it. He sees a Nestor crawling on Tom's face here, and so he goes to grab a knife. The story then zigs instead of zags, as Hank plunges the blade into his own eye, because that is where the, uh, the Nestor actually was. Beast's left eye bounces to the ground, and he stomps on it. He then gives us the mission accomplished spiel, even though... I, I mean, is he sure there are no more Nestors lingering inside him? Who knows? Anyway, back to the Savage Land, where Colossus buries Kayla's body, sheds a tear, then takes a bath. Bath time is interrupted by a knock at the door, and it is Professor X who would really like to talk. And that is where we leave it. Uh, next episode, a uh, Halloween special in the flagship. So, uh, yeah, we're four issues in, and it already feels like we're going get to get a filler story. Huh. Oh, by the way, remember that Coming Soon page I mentioned before? Well, we see it right here, and I swear we see Lifeguard and Slipstream from Extreme X-Men here. I'm probably wrong, but... Uh, wouldn't it be weird if they showed up? I, I mean, it wouldn't be a good thing or a bad thing. It would just be like a, huh, sort of thing. But we'll worry about that uh, at a later date here. For now, let's talk about this issue here. There isn't a whole heck of a lot to say about it. Um, one of my main takeaways here is uh, we need to start printing out those Beast Was Right t-shirts, huh? Because uh, it looks like Beast might have been right when he frog-marched Peter like 15 issues ago past all of his uh, peers, right? Because it would appear as though Peter is the mole. I mean, an unwitting mole, of course, but still a mole all the same. Now, the thing about this issue, and it's a an observation I've made before about all sorts of books here. This is the Dagwood sandwich, right? We're adding layers that are unnecessary and only serve to add things that can confound a story or just lengthen a story or confuse a story. Let's start with the Beast, right? 
the whole thing was predicated on him puking. Why didn't he just puke? <laughs> was it was it necessary for Tom to go in there? Maybe Tom had to chase the nester into the belly. But even so, there was still one left in his eye. So, I, I don't know. It feels like uh, we wasted a lot of time on that. Of course, we got some interesting banter. And uh, Percy was able to, like, mention blood sausage. Because, uh, you know, Black Tom is, is European. And uh, I, I guess Europeans eat blood sausage. I don't know. Uh, another Dagwood sandwich here is... Uh, the entire thing with the Kayla Colossus Chronicler Mikhail plan. Why exactly did the plan need to go down this way? You know, as I mentioned during the synopsis, Mikhail's a mutant. If he really wanted to know the secrets of Krakoa, why didn't he just go there? I mean, we've had entire stories predicated on uh, evil mutants showing up f- with for amnesty, right? We've got Sinister, Apocalypse, Magneto, Mystique, Shaw. I mean, they're the ones running the place. Over in other books, we got the Shadow King. We got the Blob running the bar. We got the Mutant Liberation Front, you know, skulking around. Eunice the Untouchable is out there. Would anyone even notice or bat an eye if Mikhail Rasputin moved in? Probably not. So why why does he need Colossus to paint these portraits? What's more... Why did he need Kayla to see those portraits and to die? Was this just a way that he could prove that they could control Colossus? Because otherwise, it feels like just a tremendous waste of time, energy, and effort. Plus, it doesn't help that I don't think anyone gives a solitary F about Kayla. We've seen her like twice for a total of maybe, maybe a dozen panels. Are, are we supposed to feel like a tremendous loss here? Are we supposed to feel bad for Peter? I don't know. I, I, I don't feel either. This loss here just doesn't feel, to dip back into my pet phrases, it doesn't feel earned. You know, it feels like it's supposed to have a whole lot more oomph and power, and it really just doesn't. Maybe that's a sign of the times, maybe that's a sign of the era, but I feel like we're getting these scenes that, in any other era would have brought with them so much heft, would have been so powerful, would have been just something we would have, like, really, you know, uh, our eyes would have bugged out of our heads. You know, a few issues ago, Beast was killed. You know, for the first time ever. He's been around for 60 years now, and he dies for the first time in a throwaway scene that doesn't matter. It doesn't feel like it has any kind of weight to it. Here we've got Colossus, who we've seen kill before. Right? We saw Colossus kill during, was it the, uh, the, the Fall of the Mutants or the Mutant Massacre? One of those. He, he killed someone, and it was a very, very powerful scene because you saw how it weighed on him and how it actually changed the character, you know? It was one of those things you couldn't walk back at a time where, you know, things that couldn't be walked back were actually taken seriously. You know, it was something that was that had thought behind it. It was something that was going to impact and change the character fundamentally from that point on. And something you knew wasn't just going to be swept under a rug. It wasn't just never going to be mentioned again. It's part of his tragic story because, I mean, Peter has turned into a horrendous sad sack. And he has been ever since I started reading these books. You know, he was always kind of that sad sack character. I, I missed the golden age of Colossus. And, uh, of course, I've gone back and read it so I can appreciate it, but in the time since I've read it, he's always been this kind of milksop, sad sack, you know, woe-is-me character. Here we have him kill someone, 
And I'm sure it was a scene that was supposed to mean something. It got a full page where he was cracking her. And I just didn't care. It didn't move me. It didn't make me think. It didn't make me, you know, it didn't make my mouth open. It was just like, eh, okay. <laughs> and I mean, not the least of it. We know she'll be back. But, but also, even if she weren't to come back, it just wasn't a great scene. Very lackluster, very just bleh, and uh, I tell you, I can't wait for this story to be over. We, we just covered that issue of New Mutants last episode with the, the Shadow King is starting to get there. <laughs> you know, we're starting to get through that Shadow King story. Maybe we're finally going to get through this damn Mikhail Zeno Cerebro Sword story here that's been going on for just about ever at this point. Uh, we, need, we need some fresh ideas. We need a new direction. We need a direction, basically. We need a way to go. We need a trajectory. And uh, it feels like we're treading water. We are getting close to, uh, I mean, next issue is the 25th issue. Maybe we're going to wrap things up in a double-sized 25th issue. I haven't, I don't remember what the solicit said. (laughs) It's been months since we talked about it. But fingers crossed that this is coming to a head, coming to a conclusion. And maybe we can get some fresh storytelling, maybe even a fresh voice after this story wraps up. Uh, I doubt it, <laughs> but uh, fingers crossed, right? Uh, the art here was great. The art here was very good. It wasn't uh, Kassara, of course, but it was still very, very good. Not much more to say. Uh, overall, it wasn't a bad issue. Um, it just feels like a, a bit of a water treader, right? It's uh, We're adding layers that don't need to be added. We're just taking up time. But, you know, it could be worse. Anyway, from here, let's head into the mailbag. We got a couple of letters to uh, attend to here. We're going to start with Evan talking about Wolverine number 14. He says, I understand your confusion over the X-Force Hellfire Trading Quiet Council hierarchy, but I think you're forgetting a key point. This scene takes place in Madripoor, which, and I'm not sure if you realize this, is a lawless place. So if the laws of Krakoa mean X-Force answers to no one, then a place, then in a place devoid of laws, the opposite would be true, and therefore X-Force answers to someone. Why, well, I bet Beast can't even kill with impunity in Madripoor. Now, <laughs> what Evan's referring to is the fact that um, in that issue of Wolverine, if I'm remembering right, uh, Wolverine has to, like, defer to Emma Frost. And uh, I made the comment that, you know, X-Force doesn't have to defer to anybody, but... For some reason here, they have to defer to the Hellfire Corporation or the trading, the Hellfire Trading Company. I didn't understand what it was all about. It felt kind of sloppy and kind of a convenient way to uh, keep the story going. I don't know. Evan continues. I was a bit, dis- I was a bit surprised to see the Marauder story picked up here, and Marauder is the boat, not the team. But then again, I'd forgotten about the Marauder altogether, (laughs) so that may be more of an indictment on my memory and level of distractedness than the story itself. It is weird, though, that it seemed as though it was going to tie into Inferno or some larger story, and and instead it's just friggin' solemn. He may be becoming my other world. And uh, yeah, you know, when we saw the Logic Diamonds dropped off at uh, during the gala, I was... I, I would have bet money uh, that it was going to lead to Inferno. I thought it was going to have something to do with Mystique maybe impersonating Emma, trying to get these Logic Diamonds so she could bring Destiny back. I thought that's what it was going to be, and no, it's Pirates and and friggin' Solemn. And I mean, talk about treading water, that Wolverine story. It's another one that's just killing time till we get to uh, 
the X-Lives and X-Deaths, which uh, our good friend Jason Colby gave us the official X-Lapsed chronym for, and it's got multiple pronunciations, which is, you know, my favorite words have multiple pronunciations. We got either Xlato or Xlato, the X-Lives and Deaths of Wolverine, X-L-A-D-O-W, Xlato, Xlato. So it's one of those. We'll, we'll, we'll probably say them both, just like, uh, you know, Dakin, Dakin, uh, Trinary, Trinary, you know, stuff like that. Oh, and we, and we mustn't forget uh, Meccano, Meccano. So uh, <laughs> we'll be calling it Exlato, Exlato. But yes, it definitely feels like we're killing time in all the books <laughs> until we get to uh, whatever's coming next. But uh, thank you so much for writing in on that one, Evan. Uh, next up, we got Jesse talking about Hellions. Now, Jesse says, It's been a while, my good friend. Uh, I will come out and say it. Hellions has been the best book I've read over the past two years. The book is thrilling, fun, and entertaining. I never thought I would care for characters like Nanny, Empath, and this Psylocke. Each adventure is easy to follow, and I want to know the outcome. The trip into Otherworld was a blast, and we didn't even get to see it. So many creative teams can learn from this book. I feel like they did what they set out to do. The series may or may not have been a finite series to begin with, but I'm still as intrigued with issue 16 as I was with issue 1, and I guarantee that will last until the last panel of issue 18. And I totally agree. I'm hard-pressed to think of a single other book that we've covered on the show that has been this consistently excellent. Um, The first part of Marauders was wonderful. You know, the first, up until, what, like Exoswords, that was really, really good comics right there. After X of Swords, it kind of fell off. It kind of fell off a bit. Way of X was phenomenal, but it was short. So I, I don't know that it would be fair to compare that with Hellions, where Hellions has been just consistently great. I'm trying to think if there was a a single lull in Hellions. Maybe the middle part of the arcade story. Maybe that ran just a little bit too long, but, I mean, it was still enjoyable. It was still a good story. It was still funny. It's... Just a heck of a good time. If uh, anybody out there could think of a book as good as Hellions, please let me know because I'd really (laughs) like to read it. As a matter of fact, I actually jumped over to Amazing Spider-Man to follow Zeb Wells over there. And uh, I've only read the first half of his first issue so far, but uh, it's not bad. It's pretty good. If you're not following it, it may be uh, worth checking out here, even if you just wait for it to pop up on Unlimited. I was expecting to be kind of lost. I haven't read... I haven't regularly read Spider-Man since uh, Superior uh, around uh, Marvel Now, so I was expecting to be completely lost, and uh, I was only a little bit lost. There was uh, some really good catch-up material and uh, exposition to help me not feel quite as out of the loop. So it's a fun one. It's a fun one, and I only only checked it out because Zeb Wells' name was on it. Jesse continues, the only answer I don't think we'll ever get is where was Empath during the Murder World rescue? I feel like they forgot he was there, but didn't address it in the book when he was not rescued. That I can't remember either. But I don't think we're done with Empath just yet, so you never know. Maybe we will find out. Uh, Jesse continues, The only thing I would have changed was Psylocke's costume. It must have been confusing for so many, and even me sometimes, that this is not the same person as the 90s X-Men version. Uh, and that's true. That's very true. Um, if you were to see my scripts for Hellions, um, I swear I refer to her as Betsy several times throughout uh, <laughs> throughout my tellings here. And hopefully they didn't make it to the air, but uh, they might have. Uh, Jesse continues, Just in case you didn't know, Betsy and Quanon had a bit of a body swap at one point. I did not know that. 
Uh, but the same costume and the same code name, they could have changed one or the other to bring down the confusion a bit. And yeah, I totally agree. And while changing the costume would have probably been the, the easiest way to avoid confusion, I think keeping the costume would have been the right way to go since, I, if I'm not mistaken, it's been a long time since I read uh, the, you know, the whole Mandarin story uh, from the, the whole body swap thing, but wasn't this outfit Quanon's actual outfit? Back then, isn't that why Betsy was in it? I, I, maybe I'm wrong. I, I don't know. But if that is the case, and you know, Psylocke or Betsy was wearing Quanon's costume, her you know her ninja outfit, then it would make sense for this Quanon to keep it or this Psylocke to keep. It. I, I'm, I'm getting confused here. <laughs> I'm I'm just as befuddled as uh, as any of us. Now, as for the name. I don't know why she took Psylocke. I don't know why Betsy gave up Psylocke. She could be Psylocke and Captain Britain, right? I don't know why you have to give one up to take the other, or maybe just retire the name since it was hers to begin with. I don't know why Quanon needs a code name. And, uh, I mean, she was going by Revanche, right? Whatever the hell that means. Why not? Why don't we just call her Revanche? I think this might just be a case of Marvel PR and spin, like wanting to promote... A character as being a uh, an A or a B lister, uh, you know, using a familiar name to those in the mainstream, a familiar costume to those in the mainstream, and the, you know the lapsed readers from the '90s, and uh, they didn't pay any more thought to it than that. It's like, oh well, we have this prominent character. It's Psylocke. We know who she is, even though it's not. Jesse wraps up with, "I'm really gonna miss this series and the absolute joy it was to read." So until I get to have Havoc as my AOL chat name, make mine X lapsed. And yes, that was uh, that was my AOL chat name back in the day. <laughs> and I remember getting a whole bunch of instant messages telling me that I misspelled Havoc because you know I used Havoc with a K, and the word Havoc is uh, with a C. And uh, I guess it's just easier to assume the people you meet online are, are idiots who can't spell things than to think it might be a reference to something else, right? <laughs> now. Uh, I definitely agree that I'm going to miss this one, too. Uh, I mentioned it, you know, a couple episodes ago. This is going to be a toughie to get over. <laughs> it's such a good book. And I only hope that there's room in uh, Zeb and Steven's schedule to uh, to maybe do something else for the X-Books in the not-too-distant future. But I guess we will see. But uh, thank you so much for writing in your thoughts on uh, what might just be the greatest book of this entire era, Jesse. Thank you so much. Now, while we're doing thank yous, let's head to the shout-outs department, where I thank the folks who cared enough to click the little buttons on the social media thing to share or promote, or to just make me feel like less of a loser for uh, posting something <laughs> on uh, social media. Let's start on Twitter, thanking Jeremiah, Chris Bailey, Ed Moore, Dave Schultz, Walt Neeland, Andrew in Belfast, Billy D., Joe Crawford, Wayne Burroughs, Jason Colby, Mark Jagger, and Rodrigo the Twelfth. Uh, Facebook, I want to thank Jeremiah, Pat Sampson, Andrew Franklin, Jesse DeYoung, Joe Crawford, Walt Nealon, Billy D, and Evan Bevins. Of course, I want to thank the patrons over at patreon.com slash xlapsed. Andrew Franklin, Ed Moore, Walt Nealon, Jeremiah, Jason Colby, The Scary Stuff Podcast, Jesse DeYoung, Damian, Peter McPherson, Mark Jagger, Herman, and Andrew in Belfast. Anytime I start to feel all alone and like uh, this show really doesn't matter to anybody, all I gotta do is think about you all and... Uh, be reminded that there are others on this journey with me and others that uh, believe in me enough to uh, to want to stick around. And as always, I'm, you know, without words for how to express what that means to me. Um, it just uh, means the absolute world. So thank you all so, so much. Uh, before we cut out of here, we do have some news. 
And uh, it's one of those good news, bad news situations. Um, you guys know how much I love X-Men Green, right? I mean, I'm on record as a you know, that's a rock-solid 15 out of 10 book or story. It's just wonderful. Uh, never, ever has there been anything better. You know, the X-Men have been lacking before X-Men Green came out, you know. This is what the X-Men franchise has been missing. Now, good news, bad news. X-Men Green is to end with Unlimited number 12. But Jerry Duggan promises that it'll return. Why? Dude, dude, why? What did we ever do to you? Let's just let it rest, huh? How about we learn from the mistake that it was? Because, I mean, it was... And I say this without any hyperbole. I can't think of a worse X-Men story that I've ever read. And I've read a lot of awful, awful X-Men stories. I did all of Mutant X, you know. I, I did that X-Men Unlimited with the, you know, the, the Nightcrawler and Mystique reveal. Uh, I've read a lot of bad books. And yet, I can't think of anything worse than X-Men Green. If anyone listening has something uh, you know, in mind that was a worse X-Men story than Green, please let me know, because i got to see it. I've absolutely got to see it because I, I, I can't wrap my head around something like that. So if you could think of something worse than X-Men Green, please let me know. Drop me a line. And uh, hey, if you want to drop me a line, there are several different ways you can do so. You could find me on Twitter at Ace Comics. You can send me an email to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. Or you can call into the X-Lapsed voicemail hotline at 623-396-JERK. For blog posts, show notes, and, hey, a place you can leave comments as well, Chris is on InfiniteEarths.com. You can join us on Facebook. Our little group is 90s X-Men. For the complete audio archives, you can head to ChrisAndReggie.Podbean.com or just type that into any of your noise aggregation devices on the Internet and listen to your heart's content. Thousands of hours of audio content over there. Finally, of course, there is the Patreon. Patreon.com slash xlapsed. Whole bunch of extra goodies over there with much more to come. But uh, I think that's going to do it for us today. I'd like to thank you all so much for sharing some of your day with me. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya. Oh